meet over there. They're not your friends. You don't go over there and shake hands, smile, hug their neck. Let's knock them on their backs, butt them in the mouth, knock their ass in the dirt. That's what we got to do. We got to stop that buddy ball, smash everybody in the mouth. Take the running backs to the stands, run up in the stands and slap their mama. Live in the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. It is showtime, baby. Here we go. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Going to be fielded by Lorenzo Neal at the 25. Yeah, give Pitches it, it back to Wycheck. He throws it across the field to Dyson. He's got something. 30, He's 40, got something. 50, He's got 40, it. He's got it. 20, 10. He's got it. End zone. Touchdown, Titans. There are no flags on the field. It's a miracle. The doctor is now in. Monday edition of the T.C. Martin Show, coming away live here, KSHB and 1400, 107.1 on the FM side, and streaming at the tcmartinshow.com. You can find show archives and all kinds of great stuff over there on the website. T.C. Martin on the road. He's headed to the ATL, the Dirty South, as they get set to take on the Atlanta Dream tomorrow night. The Aces coming off a loss on Saturday to the lowly, I, I'm just fair to use that word, right, Marco? The lowly Los Angeles Sparks, given that they're solidly under 500 and one of the worst teams in the in the West and the WNBA. 17-point underdog would uh, exactly. classify that. would classify that. <laughs> That's the voice of Marco D'Angelo, our, my co-host today, one of our favorites when it comes to Las Vegas radio personalities. Over 40 years in the handicapping game, uh, founder of wagertalk.com, uh, gives a great uh, perspective on a Monday as we are in for T.C. Martin. So... A lot went on, obviously, when it's Monday, Marco. What, what does it mean? Well, we got a lot to talk about as far as what went on over the weekend. It was essentially week two for most of the teams in the National Football League as far as uh, for some teams, they use it as a dress rehearsal, right? That uh, that second game, now that most teams have three games, some teams like the uh, Raiders and maybe others are going to use the dress rehearsal in, in week three uh, as they play the Dallas Cowboys next week. But uh, a lot of activity, Marco. In the NFL over the weekend, obviously with games, but also things going on off the field. And uh, one of those focuses, of course, is here is in Las Vegas with the Las Vegas Raiders and in their backfield. Josh Jacobs now, Marco, a number of reports across uh, both social media and just media in particular in the National Football League talking about Josh Jacobs. Possibility he could end his holdout and be in camp as soon as this week. Our colleague JT the Brick was actually commenting on it. Uh, during the game yesterday and mentioned how it uh, is imperative that Josh Jacobs is in camp here in Vegas with the Raiders. Uh, first of all, your thoughts as far as, uh, you know, how important really it is that Josh Jacobs is going to end up in being in camp and uh, what's this mean moving forward for the silver and black? Oh, they need the running game. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo is a better quarterback when you've got a good running game. He's always had a good running game in San Francisco. Got even better when they got Christian McCaffrey last year. Now, you know, Josh Jacobs, if you ask me, would I want a Christian McCaffrey or a Josh Jacobs? If McCaffrey stays healthy, I prefer him. I think he's more versatile uh, for all the things that he can do. 
but they definitely need him. And if he gets into camp, gets some work, gets some rep, if this is one of those things, if this would have drug out, and I always go back to because it was a sore spot with me, you know, the situation that happened with Le'Veon Bell, right. uh, and it drags on, nobody wins. Cause even if you do come into camp, which he never ended up coming that entire season, sat out the season, uh, with the Steelers and his career was never the same after that. You can't come in mid season or miss a couple weeks because for a running back, people think it's just plug and play. You still got to get that rhythm. You got to get that timing down with your O line and making those cuts and everything else. So the sooner he's in, the better it is for the Raiders. But, you know, that's the big story of the day. But obviously, the big story of the weekend is do we have a quarterback controversy brewing here in Las Vegas? Yeah, our, our, our esteemed, uh, our, our esteemed producer here, Justin Chuck, just gave us the numbers on Aiden O'Connell when it comes to the preseason. And look, he's raising eyebrows out there. We get it. It's the preseason. It tends to be. And look, I, I haven't really asked you, uh, Marco, as far as your perception of preseason, how much we should weigh it. But we know what happens, right, with fan bases, especially here in Raider Nation. People get kind of amped up when guys are producing in preseason because of whether where, where they've been drafted, right? The expectations coming into the NFL from college, what exactly, you know, uh, kind of we, what we think they can do and what maybe they can do and what they actually end up doing in their first couple of preseason games. And that really has become the case, right, with Aiden O'Connell here with the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, a lot of people are high on him. Yeah, and let me tell you, and again, you know my Pittsburgh background, so I'm going to give you references uh, with the Steelers all the time, but look at Mason Rudolph. He's a guy that plays extremely well in the preseason, and people get all excited about that. Here's what happens in preseason when you get these young quarterbacks. And granted, he has looked tremendous. I- I'm not going to mm-hmm. take anything away from him. But what you have to remember is he's playing with, the Raiders third and fourth unit, which he's comfortable with because that's who he's getting the snaps with during practice. You're not taking first string snaps. Then he's facing third and fourth string defenses in preseason. So it's clicking and then people get, you know, overly excited. And then when you do get sometimes to that last game of the preseason where no starters are, you know, generally smell the, the field, they put that guy that looks so good in the fourth quarter and let him start. And all of a sudden he doesn't do as well right. because now he's playing not only with the first unit offense where he doesn't have as many reps with but he's facing you know first and second unit defenses and it's a different story just don't get overly excited has he shown you flashes of things that you can maybe feel confident if he has to come in sometime during the season yeah that's no question about that you want to see him perform well even when it's against the third and fourth unit but don't start printing playoff tickets just yet and don't be talking about him you know gonna be uh challenging for you know a starter's job or anything like that uh the big thing is is he the backup that's where we're gonna be you know and Hoyer hasn't looked that bad either not as good as O'Connell has but they both moved the football. And the one thing about the Raiders, and I want to get your take on this, yeah. it looks like Josh McDaniels puts more of an emphasis on preseason than most of the other coaches that he's facing. Right. And that's going to show in the results. Well, uh, and another coach that we obviously talk about when we talk about preseason <laughs> is Harbaugh in Baltimore, right? Because of the streak they had going and like, you know, uh, and, and kind of the success they've had, you know, in the stanzas before the regular season starts. But uh, I concur with you. Look, I think preseason is is a situation where 
it, it, you get absolute, I think it's absolutely more important as far as the dual practices, right? Where you get an opportunity to get into scenarios, you know, during the week where you're practicing with the team, where you can create situations that I think might be more beneficial to you than in, you know, a, a, basically a three hour time period. You know, at the, at the at the end of the week after you've practiced against each other, I think there's much more valuable stuff that can come out of that than just in one preseason game. But that being said, going back to what you said about Josh Jacobs, right, and this running game, uh, your thoughts regarding Raider Nation and, and uh, people are getting a little bit uh, a little bit critical. I think is is the right word to use when it comes to Zamir White in that backfield, right, for the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, obviously, and we pointed this, I pointed this out last week with you when I was on with you, uh, or a couple weeks ago, when we talk about how, you know, Josh McDaniels, we get it, he's a, he's a, he's a former, you know, uh, part of the New England Patriots organization in which it was running back by committee, essentially. And so maybe you thought that might be something that they could do here in Las Vegas. But, uh, given that, uh, you know, Zamir didn't have a great game in this matchup against the Rams uh, yesterday. Uh, I think people are, uh, and, and it wasn't like, uh, you know, Amir Abdul, uh, Brent Bolden did have the touchdown in the first quarter in that drive that Jimmy Garoppolo led. But, um, I think Raider Nation, and I don't, I don't, I'd like to have your perspective on this. It would, is, is going to be, uh, feeling much happier that Josh Jacobs is coming back into the mix, not believing necessarily that maybe White's ready to be that big, that, uh, that bell cow. Oh, there's no question about it. Uh, Josh Jacobs is, you know, light years a- ahead of it. And I'm in the minority of today's NFL. We talk about it numerous times when Barkley, uh, was holding out as well that, you know, they've minimized, diminished the value of NFL running backs. I still love old school power football. I know this is a game that's, you know, shifted to the passing game, but. You still need to be able to run the football in the fourth quarter. And when you get to the playoffs, and a lot of times when you're going to be playing teams, you know, now, granted, we're out here on the West Coast, so that's not an issue, but, you know, teams on the East Coast where weather becomes a problem and you want that power running game that can kill clock, move the chains. Uh, we don't have that anymore. Uh, you know, all these teams, it's pass, pass, pass. So yeah, the running back is an important. Part, I don't think they're interchangeable, especially when you find a guy that can serve you all three avenues. You can run the football. You're a great pass blocker. And oh, by the way, I can catch the rock out of the backfield. Those are the type of running backs I want on my roster and deserve to get the money that they should get. I don't think they're interchangeable. We talked about Aiden O'Connell and what he was able to bring to the table. Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo sees his first action in preseason in the game against uh, Los Angeles yesterday. Uh, leads that uh, game opening drive, essentially, down the field. Um, first action for Jimmy Garoppolo since, I believe, in early December last year, right, mm-hmm. against Miami when he had the foot injury. Right. So uh, I, it's always tough, right, when you're talking about somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo who has a reputation for uh, injury proneness, right, Marco D'Angelo, uh, when it comes to how you handle him in preseason. Um, I think that, uh, you know, look, there, there's only three preseason games for the Raiders, so we're not going to sit here and act like he's, you know, going to get a ton of work in preseason. But uh, do, you, do you think that makes it a little bit difficult for Josh McDaniels and company? To, to kind of handle him when it comes to uh, before the start of the regular season because of his injury history? This, this was the best scenario for him. Get him mm-hmm. in that series, 
go four for four, yeah. get a touchdown, punched in, and everybody walks away feeling good. Um, he's a veteran quarterback. And, you know, a lot of these guys, I mean, look at the Rams where, you know, do you agree with, um, coach McVay with what he does? He doesn't play any of the starters. No. He doesn't care at all about the preseason. But, you know, his teams, you know, or last year was a down year, you know, no question about it. They had a ton of injuries, but his teams play well, you know, when the season starts. Now, a lot of people are starting to say, well, nobody's playing in preseason. You know, they were screaming at four games were too many. So we cut it to three and now, oh, they're not getting enough reps. They're not. You know, getting used to being tackled and tackling, you you know, tackling in the first mm-hmm. couple games is very shoddy during the regular season. And we got guys getting hurt because they, they don't have the proper, you know, preparation and, you know, endurance, whatever. You got to make a point. Which side do you want? Okay. Do you want more preseason games? You want less preseason games? You know, people are going to get hurt. That's part of this game. But the veterans, they don't need a lot of work. Now, if you're a whole new coaching staff coming in and you're changing, um, you know, offensive or defensive schemes, yeah, then maybe they do need a little more work, you know, because you can't get that same thing in practice. And that's why so many people like to have the group, you know, uh, the joint practices. But then we've seen some you know, some chippiness coming out of some of these joint practices. And now people are talking, is that a good idea? Should we continue with those? Because you got two opposite teams, you know, banging heads for, you know, two days. Is that a good thing? We see that chippiness even within your own team. How many times have you, you've covered, uh, you know, the Raiders where, you know, something happens on the field between teammates, Mm -hmm. you know, now you got the, you know, you're doing it against the, you know, an opponent that you're not supposed to like. You're trying to avoid worst-case scenarios, okay, when it comes to injury situations. I mean, just imagine your star player. Doesn't even, you don't have to name him. You just, like, imagine one of your star players goes out there, and uh, it, it's, it's kind of a uh, non-consequential game in preseason, and they end up getting hurt, and it ends up ending their season. It's just yeah. a horrific scenario that could present itself. So uh, I think that the Raiders absolutely are handling this when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo in the right way. Now, you talked about Sean McVay, right? Uh, uh, that situation as well too, right? Matthew Stafford's not going to play right. in the preseason, right? So that's another veteran quarterback who's not going to see the field. One veteran quarterback that is going to see the field, Marco D'Angelo, is going to be Aaron Rodgers. He'll make his debut on Saturday in the preseason game for the New York Jets. Now look, the Jets, kind of one of the more talked about teams in the AFC, right? Um, last year, everybody was talking about the AFC West, right? As far as, the, you know, the Raiders, the Chiefs, the Broncos, and of course the Chargers. This could be one of the more intriguing divisions in football. This year, it seems to be the AFC East, right? And not even talking about, and the team that's expected maybe to bring up, bring up the rear is the team that's been the perennial Super Bowl contender for the last two decades. And that's the Patriots, obviously. Uh, your thoughts on, on the expectations for the Jets and, uh, and, uh, the idea that, you know, a, a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who again, I would, I would, uh, basically echo kind of the sentiment you put out there that, uh, these veteran quarterbacks or veteran players, period, don't necessarily, in my opinion, need to be out there for preseason games. But uh, this is a Jets team that is expected to make some noise this year. And Aaron Rodgers, obviously, is a big part of that. There's no question. And now he is a veteran, but he's going to, you know, a new team. in Which you just talked about, yes. You need to yeah. get some reps. Now, he the offense won't be that much that he's not familiar with, you know, because of the connection with the offensive coordinator. Yeah. But... 
He's not familiar with his targets, and you've got to get timing down. You know, quarterbacks, they every quarterback has a security blanket that they like to go to when a play's breaking down. You know, Tom Brady, all those years, you know, whether it was in New England or at Tampa Bay for most of the you know, the time at Tampa Bay. He had Gronk, you know, Gronk knew where to go. You know, if a play was breaking down, he knew where to be and, and Tom would find him. Rodgers has to get learn that all over with a, a new team. So you need to get the reps. I can tell you already, they'll be the, one of the most overbet teams this weekend f- for preseason. I'm very spotty with my plays. I've only made four plays the first two weeks of the preseason. Knock on wood, you want to keep it going. We won all four of them, but they've all been, you know, bottom plays for me. I haven't, I don't bet big in preseason. Um, the Jets were very popular this past weekend. A lot of money was coming in on them and they were a small line. So people were doing the money line because two and a half, we've talked about it before in preseason football is a very bad number, you know. During the regular season, you love laying two and a half. You're getting it under the field goal. But in preseason, you don't want to do that because too often a game's going to fall on a one because they're not playing for ties and so forth. And, you know, kicking a game winning field goal, uh, you'll go for two points instead of, you know, the extra point to tie a game. So, uh, that was a bad, bad one for the, uh, betters, a good one mm-hmm. for the books last week, but they'll be overrated again this week because of Aaron Rodgers taking the field. And then, of course, you know, hard knocks always is going to draw people's attention to a team, good or bad, you know, and people are going to, you know, look at it. The problem with the Jets, and if they don't do well this year, it's going to be their offensive line. That's going to be where they go. Their defense is very good. It was very good last year. It wore out towards the end of the season because the offense couldn't generate anything. Uh, you just can't be on the field that long every game, but they need to beef up that offensive line or they're going to get Aaron Rodgers hurt and then they'll be back to where they were. Obviously, when it comes to the preseason, the NFL, a lot of, uh, you know, attention is paid to on the field as far as both the practice field as well as the preseason games, but also a lot of attention off the field, right, Marco? Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, that is the case. Uh, Numchuck uh, gave me uh, indication of uh, breaking news here in Las Vegas. Of course, a uh, former wide receiver for the Raiders, Henry Ruggs, uh, is about to serve his prison sentence. Apparently, he's being transferred from the Clark County Detention, detention Center, he right? He has been transferred. And he's been transferred to, uh, to a uh, uh, prison facility where he'll serve out his three- to ten-year Sentence. I, we, we all know the story. A horrific, horrific situation in which uh, a woman lost her life. Tina Tintor, uh, as well as her pet, as her pet dog, as well too. And uh, it is a it is a very harsh life lesson for some for Henry, who is uh, you know obviously still alive and has to and has to uh, kind of face the music here. And uh, we'll head up, but it now gets real, right? I mean, it's, it's one thing to be uh, in Clark County Detention Center. It's another thing to be actually in you know prison to uh, serve out this sentence. So uh, obviously, uh, you know, uh, uh, an end here that is, uh, it's not necessarily an end, but uh, a very difficult situation that's transpired. Uh, There's no question. And then, you know, there was a lot of, you know, pushback where people thought that because he was an athlete that, you know, a regular Joe would have gotten more time, Mm -hmm. you know, in, you know, who's to say, um, it was a bad situation, and anybody that's driven on that road, and we all have, you know, if you're scooting around, to go the speed that he was going on that particular road is just, it's criminal in itself. Insanity. Okay? Yeah. And uh, that was a bad situation, and, you know, 
the other part of it was, you know, the, the scenes, you know, with people after that that had the videos and, you know, is like, hey, that's a pet peeve of me. Where every, you know, I mean, we're in a society of everybody's got a, a phone and we were, you know, when somebody needs help. Right. And you're 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 on your phone feeling. I I just have problems. You know. I I Absolutely. know there was nothing. Someone to, someone is on the Las Vegas Strip, right? And yeah. he's getting his ass whooped essentially. And yeah. there's people just filming it there because they want to get the viral video, yeah. essentially, yeah. right? That's kind TikTok of TikTok. That's kind of the era we live in, right, Marco? I mean, it, it's sad. Yeah. It really is, and it, it, it's it's a pet peeve of of mine. Uh, Several pet peeves. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of them. Another off the field story that uh, that transpired that that was basically came to light yesterday is the situation regarding Bengals running back Joe Mixon. Uh, he's declined to speak to reporters uh, in his first practice after he was found not guilty in an aggravated menacing case. After Sunday's practice, Marco Mixon declined to speak to reporters. He then announced he would be boycotting questions from specific reporters who represent the following outlets of Sports Illustrated, the Cincinnati Enquirer, Pro Football Network. And ESPN, it's not happening, Mixon said, citing behavior he deemed disrespectful. Now, I've got a lot of opinions on this. Now, Joe Mixon, someone uh, I'm, I'm sure you well know, has a checkered history past when it comes to his uh, issues with the law. Uh, he has, uh, there's been numerous cases and in, in dating back to when he was 18, in 19 Oklahoma. years old in college, and he in basically yeah. broke a woman's face, yeah. essentially. <laughs> and so him taking this... I'm holier than now, uh, you know, self-righteous approach of, well, you know, I need to get my respect. And look, I'm going to echo what I heard on a couple of national radio shows yesterday on this, because I absolutely 100% agree, Marco D'Angelo and Justin Chuck, on these takes. When it comes to Joe Mixon talking about getting respect, first of all, anybody that uses words to get respect is the wrong way to go about it. You do not as a as a as an individual get respect by asking for it or talking about it or or demanding it. You do it with actions. You do it with your approach to life and how you handle things on a daily basis. That's how you get respect. You don't get it by telling people you need to respect me. All right? That's number 1. Number 2, the idea that Joe Mixon is the guy who as we pointed out, has had legal issues across the board. And it wasn't just one time. It wasn't just two times. It wasn't just a few times. There's been multiple times where this, where Joe has had issues that he, that he, that have been absolutely not in his best interest and have been awful situations to come out and, and take this approach to this, I think is absolutely ludicrous. And I don't know who his people are. If he does have, to an extent, have people that talk to him about how he should handle these types of scenarios and these situations, but someone needs to get into his ear and someone needs to, to set him straight on how to approach this type of deal because the way he's going about it here is not the way to do it. If he has people, he needs to get new people. <laughs> right. Because he keeps finding himself in bad situations. Uh, they're going to ask the hard questions if you keep doing things that you're doing. But you know what? If this is the stance that you're going to go and you're not going to talk to me, I also want – I don't want it to be midseason right. and it's after a game in which he scored two touchdowns and then be real cheery with all of the meat. You better boycott <laughs> the people that you're boycotting all the time. You know, 
don't do an about face because you had a two touchdown game and and now you'll 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 step in front of the the mic and take any questions from anybody. Yeah. yeah. And from a football standpoint, right, Mark? Right. This is a team that has absolutely mm-hmm. Super Bowl aspirations, right? This is a f- franchise that has been, you know, occasionally been a bridesmaid but never a bride, right? Mm-hmm. Has been on had a chance to be right there, and they absolutely are with the, the likes of obviously uh, when you're talking about Joe Burrow mm-hmm. and Jamar Chase and these guys. I mean, this is a team that is loaded for bear and looking. So this is not the type of distraction that you're looking for if you're the Cincinnati Bengals in this franchise. Absolutely not. And Mixon's not exactly been a world beater, you know, with his time with Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. I mean, they. They've had other running backs, you know, fill voids and have done just as well, you know, and that's one of those ones where, you know, the, the running backs been a plug and play system. Cincinnati, you know, has still done well with using other players at that spot. So yeah, I'm not a fan of Joe Mixon and to put the spotlight squarely on himself today by saying that or yesterday. Yeah. It just. I push it to the back of the news section. I mean, the words that were used to describe his past history with the law are he's been mired in situations, right? Mired. That's not good. That is not where you want to be. All right. If you're if you're if you're if you're Joe Mixon, if you're Joe Mixon, you need to be on, on the straight. You need to be more receptive. I think when it comes to the media, you need to be more accommodating when it comes to the media, right? I believe he hasn't spoken as uh, I think it was back in 2000 uh, back last year at the end of last year is the last time he talked to the media like in a in a formal setting essentially. So I mean I I don't really get this whole approach of, you know, I'm going to you know go to war with certain aspects of the media. By the way, you're naming off some of like the major outlets yeah. that that cover the NFL. <laughs> like are you mean you're really kidding me? Like you're, there's there's no way from a logistic standpoint you're going to be able to keep that up. As far as uh, as far as not actually speaking to those members of the media, yeah, especially yeah. if they're carrying the game. <laughs> yeah, no question about it. So, I don't know. I mean, we'll see how that all shakes out. I don't. I don't. I mean, look. I think it could be a lot of bluster and not a lot of uh, not a lot of uh, actual you know meat on the bone there with Joe Mixon. But uh, I, I would expect that. I'm sure uh, the powers that be in Cincinnati, Marco and Angelo, probably uh, had had a few choice words with uh, with Joe. Uh, on uh, how he's dealing with this entire situation, so yeah. we shall see. We'll we'll see. And as you said, you know, w- when you said powers that be in Cincinnati, I, you know, you know, it's not been a successful franchise to say the least. Of, you know, over the years they've had small windows. You know, yeah. there were there were there were times. You know, you got to go back. You know, you really. Ken Anderson days, uh, you know, for when they were, you know, a factor in, you know, battling with the Steelers and so forth. Mm -hmm. But for the last more than a decade, it's basically been the Steelers in Baltimore until the last couple of years. And that has been the emergence of Joe Burrow. No question about it in that tandem with him and in chase, you know, that's going to be one of the best, you know, they keep those two guys together. They're going to break some records. Yeah. Marco, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was a teenager in Michigan, watching the Super Bowl that they get, you know, beat by the San Francisco 49ers at the Pontiac Silverdome, yeah. uh, just outside Detroit. You know, the Chris Collinsworth teams. Yeah. You know, that you brought up Kent Anderson, obviously. Yep. But uh, yeah, that that uh, that was a long time ago that we're yeah. talking about the Cincinnati Bengals team being relevant, and they certainly are here yeah. in 2023 in the AFC. It's the TC Martin Show coming away live on a Monday. Chris Wynn and Marco D'Angelo holding down the fort here, along with Justin Chuck. We come back. Talks a little more football. Uh, by the way, Marco, we've got a game tonight, my friend. Monday Night Football. The Commanders and the Baltimore Ravens. The undefeated in the preseason. They're 1-0. 
in the preseason, Baltimore Ravens, uh, as well as the Washington Commanders, also want to know. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, about this Baltimore Ravens team and much, much more as we continue on the T.C. Martin Show on your Monday here, KSHB AM 1400, 107.1 on the FM side and streaming on the World Wide Web at the tcmartinshow.com. This is boxing referee Kenny Bayless, and what I say you must obey. So be sure to catch up with the broadcast at tcmartinshow.com. Rolling along on a Monday, it is the T.C. Martin Show coming away live here, KSHP here in fabulous Las Vegas. The skies broke, Marco. Look, we had uh, obviously some severe weather, right, over the weekend. And uh, it looks uh, pretty much business as usual outside now for Vegas this time of year, you know. Little scattered clouds. I'm, I'm doing my weatherman thing right now, you know. A little, uh, you know, floating around the floating around the 80s. I, I need to have a green board behind me right now, Marco D'Angelo. <laughs> Marco D'Angelo, Chris Wynn joining you here. Uh, we didn't straight get up Vegas on in August, man. That's what we're getting. We got nothing like they said we were going to get, though. We I thought mean, we were going to get yeah. hammered, right? It was I mean, like, come on. I got yeah. people texting me, you okay? Everything all right? I was like, everything's okay. It, it rained. That's it. You know, we didn't, it wasn't bad on my side of town. The sky was supposed to fall, right? It was supposed to be just, you know, disaster areas aplenty. <laughs> But it is sunny as hell right now. It is, outside, and, and I love it. It was. Uh, it is. It, it is a Norman Rockwell textbook esque Las Vegas August day, yeah. without question. Being, and I'm sure you're. You were from Detroit, yeah. and me from Pittsburgh. You know, I don't miss the rain. Mm-hmm. I know. You know, people that live. Have, you know, my wife's a Las Vegas native. And, uh, she just wants to sit outside and watch it rain. I'm like. I'm good. Go ahead. Yes, exactly, right? <laughs> Don't know what the weather's going to be, Marco, in uh, at FedEx Field tonight. It is Monday Night Football with the Ravens taking on the Washington Commanders. Uh, not a pretty short distance between these two franchises. This is Baltimore and Washington right there. This was a Baltimore Ravens team uh, much talked about in the offseason, obviously, because of uh, you know the major concerns in several areas. You had the contract dispute with Lamar Jackson, of course. Uh, you had glaring need at wide receiver. You had need for a fresh start at offense coordinator. Needs have been addressed, right? Todd Munkin now is the guy as far as the offensive coordinator. We'll see how that adjustment goes with him. Lamar Jackson's been very uh, positive and uh, very optimistic as far as how this has all started out from the, from the get-go. Right now, obviously, uh, and the running back room is improved as well, too. You uh, have, you know, Melvin Ingram has been, uh, or excuse me, uh, Melvin Gordon has been added to that backfield. Uh, they signed, obviously, uh, OBJ as well as uh, Nelson Aguilar to that receiving core. This is one of the uh, teams, I think, that can absolutely throw a monkey wrench into things in the AFC when you take a look at the big boys, the likes of the Kansas City Chiefs, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Buffalo Bills. I think this is a Baltimore team that's right there in the mix with them. Um, very high on the, uh, Ravens this year. And, you know, and they're in my division with my Steelers. Mm-hmm. I think that they are, they can win the division. I think one of the futures bet that I did take with them, um, I did put a small bet on them to win the division, but I took a larger bet on them to make the playoffs, you know, the yes, no's. Um, and I laid 150 with them to do so. This is a team that every year is right there. In last year, you know, they were there without Lamar Jackson. You know, he, he didn't, you know, play down the stretch and they were still a team, uh, that was 
a team that they had to, you know, you had to beat and Cincinnati should have lost to them. There's no question about it. Uh, we had that, uh, ill-fated fumble that turned that game. Remember they were at the goal yeah. line, mm-hmm. you know, and they took it back to the house. I mean, that, that was a 14 point turnaround in that game. And it was the diff, you know, the difference of that game. Lamar Jackson has no excuse this year. Okay. They've got him the weapons, uh, you know, for too long. All they had was the running back and, you know, and then he would get hurt. Then Lamar would be running and he'd get hurt. They've got all the pieces of the puzzle there. Um, the defense got overworked last year because of the inconsistency of the offense. That should not be a problem this year. I think they can go deep into the playoffs. And the reason why I like them so much as far as the, you know, to, if they don't win the division, that they will make the wild card is because as you alluded in the first segment, we talked about the AFC East being so competitive. It is. And if all those teams are competitive, you've got, you know, when the worst team in your division is the New England Patriots, you know, in that coaching staff, that says something about top to bottom. But there's no question. It's a three team race in the AFC East. So if those teams beat each other up, there's going to be an odd man out when it comes to, to playoffs because 10, you know, 10 and seven, you know, might be winning that division if they beat each other up. That's going to open it up for somebody else to sneak in as wild cards. And I think Baltimore is that candidate. From a preseason perspective, Marco, obviously the Ravens are an interesting team to say the least, right? Lots of wins in a row. Another chance for them to, uh, to add on to that total tonight. But, uh, you told me off the air, it's, there's kind of a, an intriguing, uh, setup when it comes to the betting line on this game and how things have kind of transpired. Uh, l- looking over just the short uh, last what forty eight to twenty four hours. Yeah, we up, s- leading up to this game, we saw this game open up at a field goal, uh, field goal and a half, mm-hmm. and because they know which way the public's going to go. Everybody yeah. knows the Harbaugh record. It's like twenty four consecutive wins in preseason, uh, so they're going to bet that side. But we saw money come in the other way, and this line dropped down. It got down to one. Now it's on its way back up. Uh, it's at one and a half. I honestly think that by game time, you're going to see it tip two because the people, you know, and I refer to them affectionately as John Q. Public. Yes. The John Q. Public's making their bets an hour before game time. Okay. You know, whether it's, you know, a $50 bet, $100 bet, whatever, but they can move the market as fast as, you know, because all you need is, you know, a hundred guys betting. 50 or $100, mm-hmm. then you got 5,000 or 10,000 in the, the pool as to one sharp guy betting 5,000, you know, the other way. So, uh, I think this gets back to two at game time. I did not give this game to the clients, um, you know, because obviously how strong Baltimore has been in preseason. But when it gets to game time, if this, I'm going to wait and see how, where the line closes at. I'm going to be sitting somewhere at a sports book or at a poker room around town and I'll be watching the game. So I'll have at least a pizza bet and I do eat a lot of pizza. So, okay. It's a little <laughs> bit different. I think that Washington is really going to come to play tonight. Uh, coach, you know, Rivera, they've had their own set of uh, drama this year, uh, in uh, training camp with the offensive coordinator and players, you know, voicing their displeasure. And then Rivera with what, you know, kind of threw his uh, coach under the bus, uh, didn't have his back the way he should have. So I think you're going to see a spirited effort from Washington. I think they got more to prove tonight with the new ownership and on a national stage, even though it's preseason. I just think it gives them just a tad more uh, incentive. 
Let's jump into those waters a little bit, Marco, because this is a commander's team. Uh, obviously, as you pointed out with Eric Bieniemy now the new offensive coordinator there, and now you have second-year quarterback as well. Sam Howell are, are taxed with kind of fixing an offense. That's the way it's been described all offseason. That finished 20th or worse in both points and yardage in each of the past five years. That is an inept offense, my friend, in the NFL that uh, they're trying to kind of change things around. Commanders signed uh, offensive tackle Andrew Wiley as well, too, to give kind of uh, Eric Bieniemy a familiar face there on his offensive line. And uh, look, they're going to rely heavily on the likes of you know Terry McLaurin and and Jahan Dotson, Antonio Gibson, and Brian Robinson on that offensive side of the ball. But make no mistake, I mean, you think about what the Washington Commanders have done this year in the off season. First, let me let me bounce. Let me ask you this: Do you think Eric Bieniemy will be a head coach in the NFL at any time period? Uh, soon. And also, you know, is this a commander's team that should still be a defensive team? You should focus maybe on the defense because that, that's kind of their, been their bread and butter that uh, has been, uh, look, we get that they're in a division where they're not necessarily talked about much, right? Everyone, everybody wants to talk about obviously the Dallas Cowboys, you know, and, uh, and, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles in this division, but, uh, should they be maybe looking to to be more of an uh, 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 an offensive team than a defensive team, or should they kind of stay with their identity from the defensive side of the football? Well, here's the problem, and then I'll get to uh, be enemy yeah, in a yeah. minute. the The defense is very good. Mm-hmm. There's no question about it. They have the personnel there to be a top flight defense in the NFL. And the problem is, and is and I say it over and over again, is if you have a bad offense, it's going to hurt your defense. It's just like we say offensively, if you've got a good running game, it's going to make your quarterback better. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you have an offense that is efficient, that can stay on the field, you don't have three and outs all the time, that keeps your defense fresh, and a good defense can be better with less snaps per game. That is what's been the problem for Washington because the offense can't pull their load. They're not winning time of possession. The defense is on the field longer than it should be. And even though it's a good defense, it wears down in the second half of the season. That's been the problem. So, yes, they need to address the offense. Now, that's a great segue into will the offensive coordinator, which I didn't understand the move at the time. You're taking a lateral move from Kansas City offensive coordinator to the Washington offensive coordinator. Why would you leave Mahomes? Well, in his eyes, I think he felt it was holding him back from getting a head coaching job. So he needs to go somewhere where he's his own guy and he can prove himself. And if you can take this Washington offense and make it efficient – then I would say absolutely he'll end up getting that head coaching job. Mm-hmm. But it's also a major roll of the dice because you're trying to resurrect an offense with an unknown commodity in, in how, as your leader, uh, you're going from Patrick Mahomes and all the weapons he had at Kansas City. But in Kansas City, the knock was he didn't call the plays. Okay. The, that was, you know, so what was his job in Kansas City? Just sit back and let them do what they, you know, they want because right. they, they had the offense and Mahomes was the leader on the field. So this is a big statement for him. You know, we talk about teams having statement games. This is a statement job for him. And I think he took the lateral move, which might not even have been lateral. This is, you know, you're going from Kansas City to Washington. That's a step backwards. But if he succeeds, it's going to put him on the platform, I think, to finally get his head coaching job. And as 
you pointed out, he goes from Patrick Mahomes, you know, arguably one of the greatest <laughs> quarterbacks in history, right, around his way that in, in, in that direction, to Sam Howell. And now, no disrespect to Sam Howell, but I mean, I, I mean, are, it, there's not exactly uh, rainbows and ice creams and all kinds of things coming out of my backside right now thinking about Sam Howell as an NFL quarterback, right? right. They did bring in Jacoby Brissett. Right as a uh, as an unrestricted free agent from the Browns to uh, basically back up Sam Howell, but where are you on him as far as uh, you know what he brings to the table for this Washington offense? Yeah, until we because we haven't had enough of a sample size to see mm-hmm. see what he is, or you know have an offense to work around. Uh, they did get some pieces this year to try to you know bolster the offense. We'll see what happens. And as far as Jacoby Brissett coming in as a backup, he's a career backup. Right. Yeah, he's not a starting quarterback. I know he's he has started at times and in today's NFL that's what you need is a cheap back you know that you're not tying a lot of money to your salary cap to the backup position but somebody that hopefully would only have to play one or two games during the course of the season if something you know does happen or somebody has to miss a game you know out of concussion protocol and so forth but we saw what Jacoby Brissett did in India we saw what he did at Cleveland. None of it leaves you, you know, wowing yourself uh, watching it, but he's an adequate backup. We talked about preseason, its impact, how important it is. Uh, and we talked about, of course, the uh, dual practices that these teams hold. Uh, another story coming out of the NFL, of course, is the situation between the uh, Patriots and the Titans, right? Uh, New England Patriots rookie wide uh, cornerback Isaiah Bolden was released from the hospital yesterday after absorbing that hit from a teammate that led him to be immobilized, placed on a stretcher and carted off the field in Saturday night's preseason game against the Green Bay Packers. Marco, uh, Patriots said in a statement that Bolden would travel home with the team Sunday morning. The Patriots didn't disclose the nature of Bolden's injury, but a source close to the rookie cornerback said that he sustained a concussion. Uh, Bolden went on social media uh, saying he appreciated the prayers and more excited to be back with the guys. The injury led to the suspension of the, of the game, essentially, early in the fourth quarter. Bolden had uh, feeling in all of his extremities, according to the team, and uh, remained in the uh, Aurora Bay, uh, Bay Care Medical Center in Green Bay overnight for observation. Now, this is, I mean, this is what I talked about. I talked about worst case scenarios, right? When you're talking about players on your team, uh, you know, and preseason football. But it looks like this is going to be, a, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, take a, take a glass half full approach, this is going to be one of the positive things as far as like, uh, as far as the recovery of this young man and being able to come back and uh, be in the fold. Uh, absolutely. Anytime you see somebody, you know, laying on a field motionless, you, you know, your heart stops. And obviously we had that, you know, the major scare, um, with, uh, Hamlin from, you know, Buffalo last year on a national stage, a Monday night game. Yeah. You know, you, it's just, you know, it's part of the game. Nobody wants to see, you know, happen, but injuries do happen in this game. And, uh, you know, they did the right thing. It was a preseason game. They, they, they called the game right there, the rest of it. And for people wondering from the Vegas standpoint on the betting goes on that, because it didn't go 55 minutes, it was, you know, null and void all, you know, all bets on, on that particular game. I know a lot of people, you know, you're concerned about the players, obviously, but then the next question is, so what's this mean with my bet? You know, right. the, the bet. And that's the official, you know, the way they handle things in Vegas. And we all remember that 55 minute rule with the Wisconsin, uh, UNLV game. Uh, exactly. uh, how many, how many years ago was that now? You're like, well, every year we That was about six, seven years ago, right? 
I might game? be more than because I was there with uh, uh, one of our colleague, our radio colleagues here, Mitch Moss, was uh-huh. actually at that game uh, with him. I was with him. With him. He's a Wisconsin guy. Yeah. But uh, but I digress. It's a great segue, by the way, Mr. Marco D'Angelo, <laughs> because I wanted to make a quick little pivot here. Breaking news in college football as Marco brings up UNLV and Wisconsin. Brett McMurphy from ESPN reporting on X slash Twitter. Michigan, Marco D'Angelo, is self-imposing a three-game suspension for Coach Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Harbaugh would miss Michigan's first three home games versus East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green. Harbaugh will return September 23rd versus Rutgers. So gives a clear picture as to where the head coach for the Maize and Blue, uh, his situation is going to be here early in the season. One of those team types would be UNLV, by the way, that they're playing early on in the season. So uh, you were talking about the betting situation, right, and betting college football. <laughs> what does this mean, Marco D'Angelo, head coach for one of the top teams in the country, I believe number two pretty much overall, right, now, overall rankings across the board with a Michigan team that's not going to have their head coach now for the first uh, few games of the season. Okay, so first it's a slap on the wrist. Yes. It's, th- it's three games against three cupcakes. Oh, and we're bringing you back – for the first conference game that also yeah. is against the cupcake, you know, so you get your, your, your feet wet, you know, back in the first game. Um, yeah, uh, kudos to them to doing something in house. Um, but it's laughable, uh, you know, these games, you know, remember when the story first broke on the Northwestern coach, you know, we yeah. still had same thing where they were going to suspend him. And he was fired like 15 minutes later, it yeah. felt like. It you know, felt like, yeah. Well, it, it yeah. was, they imposed the cell, you know, until the investigation was done in-house. And they suspended him in, what, you know, July? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then then he gets fired before the It's, it's <sighs> big-time football. That's all I can say. Exactly, right? And that, well, <laughs> it doesn't get more big-time than Michigan football, right? Yeah. So, I think, I didn't mention Bowling, did I mention Bowling Green is a third third yeah, game? Yeah, three cup Okay, games. I did mention that, yeah. yeah. I thought I mentioned Rutgers is what the game he's going to sit out, but... Uh, <laughs> No, that's yeah, so turns. So, 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 am I, am I, am I okay, Marco, to be throwing a little coin on the uh, on the Rebels when they make the trip to the Big House week two of the college football mm. season? Should I, should I be going down that road, Mister D'Angelo, taking a look at the scarlet and gray? No, I would be, I would be a little concerned. I don't like laying those type of you know numbers, but. You know, the situation when you're playing at home, you, you know, you've dressed more people. So they are going to, you know, get more players into the game. You know, you can go deeper on your bench and get some people into the record book. Uh, so you always got to worry about laying a big number in the fourth quarter, but, uh, I don't see them matching up. How are they going to score against the Michigan defense? They're not going to be able to. I think it's good. They could absolutely be shut out in this game. Yeah. And, uh, and that's tough because they actually have a decent kicker. So you think maybe they get a few, you know, maybe get a three, a three for or or, or a sixer on the board. But it's going to be tough sledding. For I that don't offense. see any long yeah. sustained drives, not at all. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah I, look, I, I, it was tongue in cheek. Okay, yeah. I understand <laughs> the difference between, yeah. uh, you know, no disrespect. I'm, I'm, you know, no disrespect to the UNLV's football program, but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a difficult a difficult task to head up to Ann Arbor and get a victory, even without Jim Harbaugh. On the sidelines there, but uh, what are they getting paid for that game? You know, because we always joke about teams that uh, you know they'll take the the beating, the million dollar beating. You know, those Sun Belt teams that'll go to the SEC, uh, you know, for an away game so that mm-hmm. they can take it. You know, I mean, it's good for the smaller schools and in, in the programs, and right. you know, 
hey, you want to beat me up for a million dollars? I'll sign up. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's definitely seven figures they're getting. Okay, I yeah. think they're getting, you know, low seven figures okay. as far as making that trip. But uh, it's on it's on the horizon, Marco D'Angelo. College football, it's right around the corner. And, yes, the NFL will be, will be getting ready to roll. Uh, Raider fans here won't get a chance to see their team uh, for a while. So they, they played the first preseason game, right, Marco, here yeah. at Legion Stadium. And their next game's not till, like, late September, I think, against your Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes. Your Steelers yeah. come to town. That's the next time that Raider Nation gets to see the silver and black here that's, in Vegas. That's a Sunday night game, too, I believe. Yeah, I think it is, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, a little distance between uh, a little of uh, – NFL football here in Vegas. We'll, we'll have, we'll have seen, uh, the UNLV Rebels, I believe, knocking off Bryant in week one. They're playing Bryant they better. University. <laughs> so I have a funny story about that, Marco, as we roll down yeah. to the bottom of the, the first hour of the TC Martin show, Chris Wynn, uh, Marco D'Angelo. So I went to college in Massachusetts. I went to a small school called Framingham State, Division three school, played football there for a couple of years. And then, uh, a buddy of mine went to Bryant College. It was Bryant College at the time. This is the early 90s, right? And they were solid Division mm-hmm. Two in sports. And then just recently, and by recently I mean in the last five, six years, they started to make the transition to Division One. Uh, they're, be- they're more uh, impactful, I guess is the word I'll use, mm-hmm. on the basketball side of things in Division One. But football, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about the old Bryant University football team. Uh, this is a business college, by the way, Bryant, Col- Bryant University. It's, it's essentially, it's, it's one of the three B business schools up in the Northeast. There's Babson College, there's Bentley College, and then there's Bryant University, which is Bryant University now, which is, it has a reputation as a business college. But, uh, they made a splash a little bit on the, co- on the, on the college basketball side of things. But, uh, I think it's fairly recently, I want to say in the last couple of years, they went on the football side of things, Division One. So we'll see exactly how that works out. So I think they could be getting a spanking when they come here to Allegiant Stadium against UNLV in that first game. It could be real tough it, for Bryant University. And it's supposed to be. Yes. <laughs> or UNLV's got real, <laughs> real big problems right out of the gate. You got a new coach, you know, you want, you want to get uh, off on the right foot. This is absolutely a game in which they can do it. Uh, but, you know, on a personal note, I have a couple of friends in town that went to that school. So I, I actually got a chance to head down there and, uh, in a social setting, Marco, back in the 90s. So that was a lot of fun. But, uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. College football. So it's, it, look, it's still, it should be 95 to 100 plus here in Vegas. You know, it, should, it feels like summer in Vegas, but it, uh, the calendar is turning and we're going to get a chance to, uh, to catch some pigskin and it, uh, feels really good. It does, uh, if you just ignore all of the conference, all the teams moving from conferences, that's, that's taken a little of the luster off. I, I, I don't like all the realignments. It's. What do you mean? You mean the musical chairs in which there's like a hundred chairs out there and then they just pull away like six and seven chairs at a time, it seems like. And then everybody's got, you know, ring around the rosy, going around trying to find out what exactly is going to, you know, if you can, if you can get your program into one of these, you know, big mega conferences essentially is what it's going to be, right? We're talking about it's essentially probably going to be the Big 12, the Big 10, and the SEC, right? And then we'll see how it all shakes out with everything else. But uh, it is definitely a changing landscape in the world of college football, right, Marco? It's and, killing and right. college sports. Right. The, the thing about college football is the rivalries. We, mm-hmm. we love the rivalries. They're killing the rivalries. Yeah. 
It's one hour in the books. We've got another one on the way. Chris Wynn, Marco D'Angelo in for T.C. Martin on the T.C. Martin Show. Justin Chuck making us sound good. On the other side, we're going to talk some WNBA. Las Vegas Aces uh, came off a win on Thursday against one of the best teams in the WNBA, the New York Liberty, but it was not pretty on Saturday, folks. We'll get into that and much, much more as we continue on your Monday here. KSHP, AM 1400, 107.1 FM, and streaming live on the TCMartinShow.com. We'll be back right after this. She was the roughest, toughest frail, but Minnie had a heart as big as a whale. Honey, 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 honey. This is the moment you've waited for. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Aces with Lovestock. Picked up by Gray. She can go coast to coast. There's three. There's two. She's going to launch from three. Chelsea Gray for three. Unbelievable. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Jackie's got it. Aces got numbers three on two. To Plum for three. KP, ring it up. Boom, shaka, waka, waka, boom. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. T.C. Martin. To Bay. She's open for three. She sees it. She's got the bucket. One, two, three times for Bay Bay. T.C. Martin. And you got that right. Money won't change it. Raquana. Bay Bay Williams. Boom. This is the greatest show. The ball is in the air. The Las Vegas Aces have won their very first WNBA championship. The doctor is now here. Dormant out of the weekend. It is the Monday edition of the T.C. Martin Show coming live. KSHB AM 1400, 107.1 FM here in Las Vegas. Always streaming at the T.C. Martin Show live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m., folks. If you miss any part of the show or any show, go to the tcmartinshow.com under the podcast section. Also, check out the interview page and hear from our great guests. Go to the current and classic interview pages anytime at tcmartinshow.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Las Vegas' most prestigious football handicapping contest is back. The Super Contest of the Westgate, Las Vegas. Pick five NFL against the spread each week for the entire season and win big cash, a $1,000 entry fee with a chance to be the grand champion and also 11 other ways to win with in-season contests. If you want to play with the big boys, then the Super Contest Gold is for you. $5,000 entry fee with a winner-take-all format. Deadline to sign up is Saturday, September 9th at the Superbook at the Westgate, Las Vegas. It's the Super Contest and the Super Contest Gold. Don't forget to come by and see the show live every Friday from 2 to 4 at the Superbook at the Westgate, Las Vegas. Marco D'Angelo, I believe you'll be hosting that show Friday, right? I'll try not to wreck the bus. <laughs> Watch all the games in comfort and non-smoking environment. You've got the home of the giant 4K video wall, the world-famous Superbook at the Westgate. Las Vegas. Chris Wynn, Marco D'Angelo here on your Monday. Talked a lot of NFL there week, or hour one, I should say. And uh, now let's jump into some WNBA action. Now, this is interesting. Last week, during the week, right, on Tuesday and Thursday, they had an opportunity to play black back-to-back tilts against the other team in the WNBA that, as 
expectations to win a championship. That, of course, is the New York Liberty. On Tuesday, it was not good for the Las Vegas Aces. They end up getting knocked off by 19 at home in a game where they were looking to kind of rebound after that embarrassing 38-point loss in Brooklyn against New York just over a week before that. Then on Thursday, they're able to kind of right the ship a little bit, get a victory over the Liberty, including you know Chelsea Gray going with a triple-double in that game. It, it uh, had four starters in double figures. You saw Asia Wilson kind of get back on track from an offensive standpoint. And then the calendar turned to Saturday afternoon, Marco. And you're playing against uh, one of the teams that is uh, solidly under 500 in the WNBA, in the Los, Vegas, Los Angeles Sparks. Not one of the clear-cut best teams in the WNBA by any stretch of the imagination. And the Aces end up dropping that one at home at Michelob Ultra Arena to the Los Angeles Sparks in a fashion that is concerning, to say the least, given that uh, I believe they had 15 points in that first quarter. Offense was a struggle, and it was just a matter of 48 hours, essentially, right, after that big win over New York. A surprise, Marco D'Angelo that uh, the Aces and the Sparks' outcome was what it was on Saturday. Yeah, it wasn't even 48 hours, and that's where I'm going to start with this whole breakdown of the Aces. Um, the schedule maker has not been kind to the Aces right. at all right now. And as you, you talked about it, they got out to a slow start, 24-15 at the end of one. They only scored 21 in the second uh period in the third quarter, fourth quarter, 19 and 17. 72 points for this offensive juggernaut that had been averaging like 94 points a game. Um, it's a being coming a recurring problem. Uh, and I have thoughts on it and there's nothing we can do about it at the moment. Um, other than get these guys some uh, girls some rest. Mm -hmm. You've got the starting four. Um, Wilson, Plum, Young, and Gray. It's the best starting four. When Candace Parker was healthy, it was the best starting five in the WNBA. But there's nothing off the bench, and that is a problem. Um, Kia Stokes, you know, 22 minutes. Now she's in there for her defensive presence. I get that, but you got to get, you know, some points, zero points on Saturday. And all those games in a row that the Aces played leading up to the pair with uh, the Liberty in the Tuesday game, as you said, that was a huge game for not only the aces for the revenge spot, but we talked about it several times. The winner of that game got each player got $30,000 mm -hmm. to an NBA player. $30,000 is nothing to the WNBA uh, players. That's more than 10% of the highest paid player. Okay, so it did mean something for them, and they'd lost that game. They righted the ship, as you said, on Thursday, but then the WNBA had them scheduled standalone game on Saturday. They were the only game on the schedule Saturday, and they had the game at noon local time. So you didn't even have a 48-hour turnaround. You know, it was, it was less than that uh, for them. They don't have any depth, and the starters are getting tired. And when you look at the shooting percentages, this team is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the WNBA. And for the game, they shot, uh, again, a dismal uh, total for the game on Saturday. And they were 17-point favorites. You you can't lose outright on your home floor. They shot just 25% from the field on threes, 
36 for the game total. That's a tired team. They're they're coming. You're seeing them hit the front rim a lot. That's when you know. Not that I've ever been an NBA player, but yeah. I know when you don't have your legs, your shots are coming up short. You brought up the dynamic, of course, of you know the starting lineup versus the bench production of this team, and right and look. And Becky Hammond has gotten uh, a lot of praise, and rightfully so, as a head coach because she's seen to push a lot of the right buttons. Obviously, they won a championship a year ago in her first season as the head coach. But uh, they've kind of run into a stumbling block here when it comes to uh, trying to get any kind of production out of the bench. We understand Rakana Williams, you know, being suspended indefinitely, and for, for that situation, we understand how that all goes down. And we 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 know, you know, what AC Alicia Clark and some others on this bench can bring to the table. But uh, I think it's a legitimate concern that you're not getting, uh, you know, maybe more production out of this bench as opposed to what you get from a, the starting five. You know, usually on a consistent basis. And because they had been blowing teams out, she was able to empty the bench in a lot of games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it didn't matter because they had, you know, 25 point leads going to, you know, the fourth quarter. Yeah, you can manage the minutes that way. But they had back to back big games, like you said, with the Liberty yeah. that took its toll on this team. Now, if you would have told me they weren't going to cover on Saturday, I would have been on board with that, you know, because I could see the flat spot. But to see them lose outright, now let's give the Sparks some credit. I, I know they have a sub-500 record, but they had coming into that game, I think they had covered seven in a row. They were playing their best basketball. They had won three in a row straight up, but they had a seven in a row against the spread. So I wouldn't have been surprised at all if they gave them a battle. But not being able to come out on a floor that you've owned um, – you know, snap the, you know, they hadn't lost the game at home other than the commissioner's cup, which technically wasn't, you know, a, a season loss for them. Uh, they were undefeated on that floor and they not only undefeated, they blew everybody out. They didn't have that many close games, but that was a bad one on Saturday. And I don't know how you can fix this bench problem when you're playing inferior teams. Mm-hmm. They can get away with it. But when you get to the championship game, and let's face it, they're on a collision course for the Aces and the Liberty for the WNBA championship. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be the best matchup team-wise. It's going to be the best matchup for the WNBA ratings-wise because you've got the New York market against, you know, the big bad aces that, you know, it seems like just like the Knights, everybody, you know, hates the Vegas team because everything has come so easy. But, uh, what are they going to do when they got to go a five game series against the Liberty and in they're at a huge disadvantage with depth? It's a solid point. And look, uh, they do still play the games though. So this Aces team, they head on the road here for a stretch. They'll be playing in Atlanta tomorrow night against the Dream, a team that gives up a ton of points. I believe they give up like almost 84 points a game in Atlanta. So you would expect maybe that the Aces are coming into this thinking that uh, we might be able to kind of fix some of our problems from an offensive standpoint when you're playing a team the likes of the Dream. And they're actually going to have basically two and a half days rest Mm -hmm. because they played the noon game on Saturday. So you're off Sunday, travel on Monday, and you're going to play tomorrow night. So yes, I would expect the Aces to bounce back in a big way tomorrow. And I would also expect that one of the trademarks until this last you know, two games there. Generally, when this team doesn't score a lot of points, 
they're on their route to uh, get a hundred in the next one, you know. So you yeah. might want to look at a team total tomorrow with the Aces because I think they're they will have fresher legs tomorrow because they did have a couple days off, and we should see the Aces that we've seen all year. But uh, I've got concerns moving deep into the season when we get to the playoffs, and you are going to battle the Liberty. Uh, the only other team that I that you know could make it out of the East is the Connecticut Sun, right. but. Uh, I still think New York's by far and away the better team. They they get p- scoring seven, eight deep on that team. Yeah, I would be surprised if the Aces didn't come out with a big effort tomorrow night in Atlanta against the Dream. Then they head to Chicago to the Windy City to take on the Sky in a matchup on Thursday. And then they're in D.C., the nation's capital, on Saturday for a 4 o'clock game. They'll be there. They'll be visiting the White House for that game. And then they'll close out this road trip in Brooklyn against the New York Liberty at the Barclays Center, the scene of the crime, Marco D'Angelo, where they were just absolutely lambasted by the New York Liberty. Uh, I, I would I would suggest that would probably be some kind of motivation for this Aces team going in there after losing by you know thirty plus points to a team that you're expected to be in an NBA or WNBA final possibly with and you're going to be yeah. right back to the same situation, mm-hmm. uh, Chris. They're going to be tired at the end of this road trip. Facing a Liberty team that is definitely a nightmare matchup for them right now. And, you know, you talked about it, you know, play Atlanta, Chicago, Washington, New York, and you're doing it starting Tuesday every other day. It's going to be Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, you know, Monday. It's, it's going to be tough on them. We'll see what happens in that last game and see if, uh, Becky tries to manage the minutes the game before against Washington, a team that, you know, is not that good. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's another team that they should handle easily. Hopefully they can get out, get a big lead and she can empty the bench and not worry about it and keep the team fresh for the Liberty. But this Liberty team, like I said, you can get double digit production all the way down, you know, sixth, seventh uh, player deep on that team and after our starting four, we're we're looking who's going to make a who's going to make a bucket. So I have to bounce this off you, Marco, because I think this is an outstanding radio topic. Becky Hammond, right, as a head coach, obviously she's had an opportunity after her playing days to work with Greg Popovich in San Antonio with the Spurs as an assistant coach, right? Uh, she wasn't the very first female assistant, but I believe she was the first full time. Assistant coach, maybe maybe uh, number one assistant or whatever, on the bench. Um, so she has ties to the NBA. We saw what she was able to do in 2022 by winning a championship in the you know uh, with the with the WNBA and the Las Vegas Aces. We saw the chatter that came about regarding the Toronto Raptors, uh, even the Portland Trailblazers when some of these head jobs came up in the NBA. What do you think about the prospects? of Becky Hammond being a head coach in the NBA. Because I'll be very quick with my response to this. I think I am still a tad skeptical. I I think that that's something that I think NBA teams tend to be hesitant in this situation regarding her specifically and regarding any any female right now at at this point, right now. I think she has the best chance of anyone. But me, I'm still in the camp of uh, I'll believe it when I see it. When it comes to Becky Hammond, what do you say when it comes to Becky Hammond and her prospects of uh, coaching in the NBA? The Toronto job, you know, was a was a real thing. You know, whether it was just you know doing it to 
go through the due process, like, you know, the Rooney rule, you know, with the coaches in the NFL. Um, but she wasn't going to leave this. This is too good of a gig for right now. Yeah. She wins another championship if they would repeat. Um, would she get a job the, the following year? Probably not. But I do think if she does get a job in the NBA, it is going to be the San Antonio Spurs when Coach Pop retires because he will have a big say in who that next coach is. Mm-hmm. He, he's, you know, he's an institution in San Antonio. And I am a big, big fan of Coach Pop. I think he's the best coach in the NBA um, in what he's done over, you know, how many decades mm-hmm. uh, of doing it. And there is such a close bond with him and Becky that I think if he told the organization she's she's the person for the job, I think she would get it. Yeah, this is a. I mean, to me, obviously, it's a very. Uh, it's it's it, it intrigues a lot of people. You know, the possibility of her uh, <laughs> coaching at the NBA level, and uh, you know, everyone's got their hot take and wants to you know say, well, I think she's going to do this and that. As someone uh, who is a fan of the Detroit Pistons, right? There, there was there was speculation that possibly she could be in the running in that in that mix. Obviously, you know, they they uh, they went a different direction, but. Uh, uh, I mean, maybe I'm just giving too much, too much, uh, headway towards the, the old boy network in the NBA. You know what I mean? Like maybe I'm just giving too much credence to that as far as, as far as how, the mentality in the league and, 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 and maybe not giving Becky enough credit as far as how she can handle that. Because I, I mean, I just think it's a thing. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, uh, look, there's been coaches in the NBA that have been successful that haven't been NBA players. We've seen it. We saw it with Eric Spolstra. We saw it with a lot of guys, right? So uh, that, to me, when it comes to you know male coaches, I get it. But when it comes to female coaches, I mean, look, Nancy Lieberman Klein was somebody I thought who had who garnered who garnered a lot of respect, right, mm-hmm. because of her playing career and because of her coaching ability. And even she wasn't even really get, get, getting a chance from from an from an NBA standpoint. To get a job, so I think it makes it it makes it very problematic and difficult. Is is the descriptions I'll use for Becky to kind of get up into that realm and and maybe break that glass ceiling? The you know the obvious problems you know obviously is the locker room dynamic, and I'm not talking just you know the <laughs> the obvious. I'm talking about NBA players in general of any sport, and, and I don't want and don't take this coming off the wrong way, but they're the toughest to manage okay these guys make a ton of money most nba players you know we see you know off the court annex you know good or bad they they like the you know they like their nightclubs and stuff we see it. that's where i think the problem is would she be able to win over a locker room and for them to totally buy into her um and again, I think the only place that that could happen would be in San Antonio. And let's face it, you know, the, not only do you would you have Pop's vote, of, you know, of confidence, but how many other players like Ginobili and everybody that were familiar with her from being with the team mm-hmm. would also give her a resounding endorsement? Oh, there's no question. Now, like you go to Aces games, there there are constantly. You know, Spurs players and former Spurs players that are playing for different teams showing up to to support her uh, in her endeavors. So that that to me is absolutely a, uh, no question about it. I look, I would I, I would contend, and I'm kind of going down the road you did with that that San Antonio would seem like the most logical spot, right? Yeah. Um, 
given the amount of power that Pop has down there, what he's been able to accomplish, uh, and the the respect and uh, the track record that Becky has in that organization, I think that would absolutely be a spot where she could land. Uh, I, th- I think I think a lot of my skepticism, the, use, the word I've used over and over again describing this, has to do with other organizations around the NBA, right? Because I do think there is that 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 mindset that you pointed out regarding the locker room and regarding NBA players as far as uh, as far as Becky. And look, I mean, I'm again, I'm not trying to be disparaging or criticize Becky in any way, shape, or form. But she's only been a head coach for for a year, right? And it's and it was it was the it was the shortened. Uh, they just it, they just extended the WNBA season, right? This mm-hmm. year it was last year. It was yeah. a thirty game season yeah. a year ago, I believe. So I mean, one thirty game season, and we're sitting here uh, when we talk about her in an N, a WNBA perspective. We talk about her like she's you know Phil Jackson. You know, I mean, it's it's like calm down, okay. Uh, I have tremendous respect for Becky. I think she she is a professional to the utmost. I've had interactions with her that in which she's uh, she I, I she's been more, I've absolutely been impressed with her to all kinds of extents. But to sit back and act like she's already established herself as a great coach, I think is overstepping it a little bit. It is, and I think she needs time. I think she still needs time to grow as a head coach. And if it's in the WNBA. So be it, you know, and if she's able to maybe uh, stockpile is the word I'll use, uh, you know, a few WNBA championships before she makes the jump to the NBA or tries to make the jump to the NBA, then fine. But I, but I, you know, I, I just think that uh, timing is everything, right? When it comes to opportunities like this with coaches, and especially when you're talking about groundbreaking opportunities, right? I'm not talking about, you know, your assistant coach, your average Joe out there who's an assistant who gets the gig, you know, because he's been an co- assistant coach for 15 years, right? I'm talking about someone who's trying to break a barrier, who's trying to make history and be the very first in a league that's been established for decades. Yeah. It's 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 a tough thing. First yeah. thing, go yeah. back to Coach Pop. Yeah. He's not going to leave anytime soon because he wants – he <laughs> want, he's one, he's we such a competitor. That. We, we saw that. We saw that. He's such a competitor, but he's also got – you know, a generational player coming to his team. And, he, you know, we've already seen what he's done with big guys before. I mean, you know, the Admiral, David Robinson, you know, and then Tim Duncan, he gets a chance to do it again. So uh, I think it'll be a few years before that opens up, which would give Becky time to, you know, solidify, you know, her status with, like you said, if she would go back to back. And remember, the nucleus of this Aces team is signed, is locked in for a few years. So this team's supposed to be a dynasty for a while. But the one thing you hear everybody when they talk about Becky Hammond and, you know, she's got high basketball IQ. Okay. You know, I, I, I don't know where that test is that you, you get that, uh, that they determine you have. It's a combination of an eyeball and resume (laughs) test, kind of. You know what I mean? I think that's what it is. What it is. I'm trying to put it in plain terms, but I, I think it's down that road. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that goes to who, you know, she learned under, Mm -hmm. you know, and then she had a great career, you know, as a player, obviously. Uh, so, you know, both in you know college and the WNBA, and uh, and recently inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. So her resume is there. It yeah. it, it can happen if it's going to happen to any woman in you know college or from the college scene or in the WNBA. It, it will be her. 
and she's motivated too, right? I mean, this is a woman who wasn't even drafted into the WNBA, mm-hmm. but then ends up being, I think, a six-time WNBA All-Star, had a yeah. solid career on the court, and then, of course, we've seen what she's done in the coaching range. We'll see how it happens. Look, I think she's still going to be in Vegas for a couple more years, and then uh, she might have other opportunities. We'll see what those opportunities end up being. Uh, obviously, I think for her and for for women in American sports, it would be a tremendous story if she did end up getting uh, and being the first woman ever to coach in the NBA. Where the I head coaching wouldn't level. want her to go is a team that obviously whenever you're hiring a new coach, generally the team's not good. That's why the other coach isn't there anymore. But go to a team that is bad and maybe as a team it's not selling the arena out and using it as, you know, as a hook, you know, oh, we got the first of you know, because you got to succeed, you know, because all eyeballs are going to be on you. You want to go to a franchise that has some kind of winning tradition in history. And again, that's why I say, you know, the Spurs, you know, they're on a down cycle now, obviously, and that's how they were able to get the number one draft pick. But this is a team that does have some talent, you know, some young talent there that could be a good team a couple of years down the road. And uh, this is, we have been outstanding on the segues here, Marco, because it does lead, you talk about teams that maybe she doesn't want to go to. There's a team that's got some high drama going on in the NBA, uh, a team that was expected to be one of the best in the Eastern Conference. And now, obviously, I'm talking about uh, the city of brotherly love, my friend. Uh, all the discussion regarding James Harden, right, and his situation with the Sixers, well, now there has been rumblings that that their best player, their franchise guy, might be looking to head out of town. Of course, I'm talking about Joel Embiid in Philadelphia with the Sixers. Marco, I, I mean, I know we're rolling down towards a break here, but this was a Philadelphia 76ers team just, a, just a, about a matter of a year or two ago was being talked about as, oh, we could be storming towards an NBA championship. Now... Everything is just falling apart with the Philadelphia 76ers. I got one common denominator, and that's James Harden seems everywhere. He's, you know, he's a bright, shiny piece everybody yes. wants. Where has it worked? Yes. Where, where has it worked that they got to the next level? And where has it been where he has shown up when they've been in the playoffs? He's had some, you know, obviously some big performances in the playoffs, but more often than not, he's gone, you know, MIA. In the, the the big money games when they need him the most, I don't think he's a great team player. Not a big fan. And you think about it, this team. I go back to the Thunder, the Oklahoma City Thunder. They had Durant, Westbrook, and Harden all in their prime, and they couldn't get it done. How do you? They had you know all these other teams are trying to make super teams. They had a super team before there were super teams, and they couldn't get it done. And he's the only common denominator. But now, I mean, it just, it just seems like it was, you know, Doc, the whole thing that went down with Doc Rivers. I mean, there, I mean, you think about drama franchises in sports, right? Obviously, you think about the Dallas Cowboys in the NFL. You think about the Lakers, right? In the NBA. I mean, the Sixers have become that team. In the last five years, they become one of, you know, one of the teams that's just surrounded by drama in the, especially in the last three, four years because they they had high expectations and then they've had these key people whether it's coaches or players that have had some type of uh, you know uh issue or some type of grievance that was going on ben and it Simmons. just ca- and it caused yeah the Ben Simmons situation I mean uh, I mean it's just it's amazing like uh 
I guess, what could have been, right, for the Philadelphia 76ers when you talk about this team and this franchise when it comes to the Eastern Conference and the NBA? The Philadelphia 76ers in basketball are the equivalent of the San Diego Padres in baseball. High expectations every single year coming in, make off-season moves, supposed to bolster the team, and yet it's a disappointment. I couldn't have said it better myself. Marco D'Angelo, Chris Wynn in for T.C. Martin, the T.C. Martin Show. Coming to live, we'll take our last break, come back, talk some Major League Baseball. Uh, New York Yankees, eight-game skid, falling out of the picture. Uh, also some stories uh, from here in Las Vegas. Uh, latest news as far as the A's are concerned. I want to bounce that off of Marco as uh, well. We'll talk a little talk a little diamond action when we come back. It's DC Martin Show on a Monday, 101 point, or excuse me, 107.1 on the FM side, 1400 on the AM side, and streaming live at tcmartinshow.com. Now, back to more of Las Vegas' favorite sports madman, the Dr. T.C. Martin. T.C. Martin Show coming away live on a Monday. The doctor is on the road. He is in the dirty south Atlanta getting set for the Dream and the Aces. He'll be on the call tomorrow over down the dial on ESPN Radio calling the Aces versus Atlanta Dream Game as they'll look to bounce back after that loss to the Los Angeles Sparks on Saturday. Chris Wynn, Marco D'Angelo in on a Monday. Marco D'Angelo, one of our favorites in Las Vegas radio, has done a tremendous job. Over 40 years in the handicapping game, folks. Uh, wagertalk.com. Go there. If you want all, know all things handicapping, folks, that's the way to go. Um, we've been talking a little bit, uh, obviously about, uh, the WNBA. We're going to switch gears a little bit because Major League Baseball is rolling down the stretch, Marco. Uh, obviously, uh, some very intriguing wild card races going on, both the American and National League. You've got teams charging like the Chicago Cubs. In the National League, right, where you got a couple of teams at the top of the uh at the top of the wild card standings in Philadelphia who lost yesterday. And uh by the way, shout out to uh our local team here, the Henderson Little League team. After losing on Friday, they were able to get wins in both of uh elimination games over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday. They lost that game uh excuse me, that game was on Wednesday, by the way, that they lost to to the Metro team. Uh, three to one, right? And then, uh, they got wins on Saturday and Sunday to continue. So they're still alive there, but, uh, a great thrill for those young players, Marco, because they got a chance to see that, uh, Major League Baseball classic, uh, showcase yeah. last night with the Washington Nationals and the Philadelphia Phillies, two Las Vegas guys. And we had the, the guys in studio here for another show, uh, from, from the league team. They are big fans of both Bryson Stott and Bryce Harper, obviously yeah. two local guys playing for the Philadelphia Phillies. So that was a big thrill for them to be there in Williamsport and get a chance to experience that. Oh, it's such a great atmosphere. And I hate to admit it. You know, I lived all those years in uh, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh. I never made it to go there. You know, it's it's cool that baseball has recognized it in doing these showcase games there for the kids. I mean, that's, you know, it's such a thrill just to be there, obviously, playing in the Little League World Series, but then get to see up close and personal, you know, a game like that and, you know, meeting the players and so forth that just can't imagine, you know, that's a memory those kids will have their entire lives. And uh, for us, you know, it's just another game. We're watching it, trying uh, to bet it. And when we were talking about things that were good for the books and bad for the books over the weekend, 
everybody was on Philadelphia last night, the ES, the ES fan game, and uh, they went down. Uh, Philadelphia, you know, these teams that are fighting for the playoffs, uh, they seem to keep shooting each other in the foot. Uh, talk about, you know, in the American League in the West, you had both Texas and Houston get swept right. at home over the weekend, and that opened the door up for the hottest team in baseball, which is Seattle. They've won, uh, I think, six in a row, mm-hmm. but they're 32 and 13 over their last 45 games. And if you remember, coming into this season, they had that great run the second half of the season last year. And, you know, they got a good young pitching staff that, you know, everybody said, hey, this is the year that they're going to contend. They had a slow start, but right now they are on fire. And that's a team that I would not want to step in front of. Right Two teams now. that basically solidified their fate, of course, are the Angels, who are under 500 the last 10, and uh, now sit uh, eight and a half games back in the wild card. And of course, the New York Yankees, right, lost eight straight, including uh, uh, they've lost. Uh, they're one and nine in their last 10, so that pretty much uh, solidifies what's going on in the American League wild card race. But then you have got the Red Sox there, three games out. Uh, you know, of the wild card race. And, uh, you talked about that Seattle team right now, uh, 14 games over 500 and, uh, pretty much neck and neck, right? With Houston and Tampa Bay when it comes to that wild card race. But, uh, look, you and I, we talked about this in the break, Marco. So I have a friend of mine, uh, Daniel McCartan. She is a host at WFAN in New York. And people are not happy, as you would expect in New York because. It's the Big Apple. It's the number one market in the country. They have expectations every single year. And so, yes, we've seen the unraveling that has transpired with the New York Mets in the National League. But it's also equally as concerning, I would expect, for all of uh, the Bronx Bomber fans out there and Yankee pinstripe fans out there, what's happened with the New York Yankees. Because this is a, also a team that had expectations going into the season as well. Well, no disrespect to the Mets, but you guys are used to disappointment, okay? That's been, you know, decades, okay? Mm -hmm. For the Yankees, this is uncharted water. I mean, how long has it been since they haven't made the playoffs? This is a team that is not afraid to spend money. They've every year got one of the biggest payrolls in Major League Baseball. And we had Numchuk look it up during the break. The Mets actually had a bigger payroll this year than the Yankees. So, yes, that uh, disappointment with the Mets, uh, you know, stings. But I think the Yankee fans are the ones that are in just absolute total disbelief. And this weekend, they, you know, the one thing you could count on with the Yankees was like, you know, every four or five days, at least Garrett Cole's going to go out there and, right. and pitch. And they lost with him over the weekend as well. Uh, Severino has been just absolute trash this year. He's getting lit up like a, you know, Christmas tree every start. Um, you had, uh, Grimond who had, a no hitter this year and then most of the rest of the starts, he's not been good for them. Uh, and then, you know, if judge isn't in lineup, you know, he's been having battling injuries this year. They can't score runs. It's a mess. When you look at the Yankees, right? A lot of times I look at this, this franchise and it's, and it's supposed to be a franchise in which you just reload. You don't rebuild, right? Mm-hmm. I kind of get that, that, uh, that idea about them. But do you get the feeling that they're kind of missing out on a window here? Do you get the feeling that, you know, with the likes of Judge and some of these, you know, some of these players that are in their prime, that are in New York to go along with the younger players, right? And some of the older vets. Do, do you get the feel, Marco, that it's maybe it's a team that is letting an opportunity sw- slip away to be a contender in the, in the American League? 
because of the money they have to spend more so than anybody else, they're going to get back the ship righted quicker than mm. most would in this situation. But I think they do have to semi blow it up, but they got the money to rebuild it quick. You're going to see a lot of heads roll at the end of this season. I think you're going to see both GM and manager gone. You can't in, you know, if you're going to bring a new GM in, he's going to want his guy for a manager and you start from there and then you open the checkbook up like they do every year. But this is a team that there's a lot of, a lot of people that got to look in the mirror that didn't do their jobs. And I'm talking not only on the field, off the field, you know, play people, personnel, not a good situation for a perennial uh, powerhouse that uh, isn't a, you know, playoffs all the time you talked about the philadelphia phillies making people like myself rip up their tickets yesterday after <laughs> that matchup with the washington national when it was already four nothing in the first oh, inning by the way marco uh for the washington nationals in that tilt but in the national league it's very interesting right when you talk about this wild card race you've got the phillies right now i believe 500 in their last 10 games and you've got san francisco's under five i think they're three and seven in their last 10 for the giants as they sit atop the wild card race but Chicago Cubs, the team charging right now. This, and when, when you see Marco, uh, you know, teams from, from all the way from Arizona through Miami, Cincinnati, Chicago, San Francisco, and Philadelphia, when you see that amount of parity, right, in the mix still, when it comes to wild card, does this just not make the case for all of, I mean, back when we were in our younger days, obviously there's four teams that made the postseason, right? This, I think, absolutely makes the case, right? That, oh, adding more of these wildcard teams and setting up these scenarios in which more teams can be playoff relevant. This is a perfect example of it when you talk about the National League. Absolutely. You want to keep races alive as long as you can because you don't want people tuning out the last two weeks of the major league season. And, you know, they added the other playoff spot where I'm so happy that they got rid of i was not a fan of the one one game wild card you know i and i tell the story all the time but i go back to my pirates who had had not made the playoffs for i think it was like 19 years Mm -hmm. they finally made the playoffs but it was the one game wild card and they did it a couple years i think the one year we had to play san francisco oh and who did we draw madison bumgarner in his prime then um we had one year with the cubs in the wild card oh who'd we get there oh jake arietta when he was in his prime you know it it just sucks to have that one game and be done because yeah you get excited that you may oh we're in the playoffs but no, you're in a play-in game. So the new format, I am a fan of. Uh, I am a fan of keeping things uh, alive as long as you can uh, with the baseball. But one thing I'll tell our listeners to be careful of at this time of the season, uh, it's a long season. And the teams that are in contention are going to be overpriced. The bookmakers know where you're going to bet. You're not betting the, you know, the team that has nothing to play for. But when we get to September and they – you know, expand the rosters. You're going to see some people called up for some of these younger teams that there are going to be pitchers that they want to take a look at, you know, to, you know, see if they have a shot of making the club next spring. And I always say it, pitchers have the advantage over the hitters the first time through the league. So when you get some of these guys that you don't recognize the name starting, don't be running automatically to bet against them at the windows. You're going to make money with these dogs because remember the best teams in baseball, uh, they're going to have, you know, 
Atlanta, you know, they're a 650 ball club. They're going to win 65% of the time. If you're laying over 200 every game, you're losing money with the Astros, even at a 65, you know, 650 win percentage. Two to one, you got to win 67% of your games to break even. Yeah, but uh, I would I would uh, counter that by saying this. In a game yesterday that I was watching, I was not going to put money on the underdog, and that was the Oakland A's <laughs> taking on the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, Marco, how good is this Baltimore Orioles team? Like they, uh, they, they spanked Oakland yesterday. Not a shock by any stretch of the imagination, by the way. Uh, Gunnar Henderson was uh, a single away from the, the cycle, and uh, his final at-bat in that game yesterday ends up with a double. So he ends up with two doubles in the game, has a monster game. But uh, this is an Orioles team obviously sitting atop the American League East, one of the favorites in the American League, but uh, hasn't had a lot of postseason success in the last three decades plus, right? Uh, obviously, their last championship was in 1983. It is an organization and a franchise looking to kind of to, to, uh, to catapult themselves up into that, that conversation with the likes of, of uh, and I'm talking about over the last five, six years, the likes of the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees and, and, uh, and Boston Red Sox in the American League, right? Um, is this their year? Could this be their year where we're talking about Baltimore making a real run? Baltimore, here's the thing. Can you name five superstars on this team? Three superstars? They're, they're a team of good players, but you don't have the big name players. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been the most consistent from start to finish. We've had a lot of teams that were hot at certain times, like Tampa Bay. They were ready to hand Tampa the World Series at the end of April. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where have they, you know, they've played basically 500 balls since then. Uh, this is a team where the problem for Baltimore that I see the pitching staff has its moments, but it's not a dominant pitching staff. They've won their games scoring a lot of runs. This team's got a, a very good offense. Um, their bullpen has been their strength this year, which is something that hasn't been in the past. But when you get into a series where you're basically going to be going to three man rotations and you're going to be facing some of these good teams that got, you know, two studs and a semi stud for their, their three starters. It could be tough for them in a series. If they can get the game to the bullpen, yeah, they've got a big edge, but it's, you've got to get to the bullpen first and they could be handcuffed by some of the pitchers that they're going to go against and their pitchers aren't those dominant type guys. You don't have the guys that you know he's going to go out, give you six or seven innings and he's going to give you a two run performance. They don't have those guys. Going to the other end of the spectrum, Marco, and well as Justin. So I was watching that game, by the way. There's like 3,000 fans in the stands. They're giving away free tickets now on Sundays mm-hmm. to kids under 12 in Oakland for these games. I mean, nobody's showing up. It's a pretty much a foregone conclusion or expectation they're coming here to Las Vegas. And there's news on that front when it comes to that. Uh, the Oakland A's have hired the Mortensen McCarthy construction firm to build a new ballpark here in Las Vegas. The, the expected site is going to be the Tropicana site. As of right now, that's the same firm, by the way, that built Allegiant Stadium here in Las Vegas for the Las Vegas Raiders. So it's just one more, you know, a tidbit of news that it, 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 it very well looks like it's becoming a reality that, that the A's are going to be coming to Las Vegas outside of some, you know, uh, extenuating circumstances that are, are a little bit wild. It looks like that's going to be the case. I mean, I don't know if I dive too deep into with, with you, Marco, as far as, uh, 
your uh, expectations with the A's coming here to Las Vegas and uh, your thoughts on this. But, uh, you know, I've always been someone who uh, takes kind of a selfish approach as a baseball fan <laughs> and sit back and say, you know, I get to see the New York Yankees come to town. I get to see the Angels come to town. I get to see my, my Detroit Tigers come to town, the Boston Red Sox. Um, I think about the positive aspects from a financial standpoint that it's going to be a job creator, right? That it, I, I want to believe it's going to be something that's beneficial for the community. But uh, there are some detractors out there as far as bringing the A's here. And for the most part, Marco, it's about the baseball stuff, right? It's about the franchise. It's about how the franchise operates as a franchise, right? As far as general managers, ownership, how they approach ownership, money ball, right, and how things go with that. Um, I guess my question to you is this. Do you think it works in Vegas? And I want to be more specific about it. From a baseball standpoint, do you think it can work from Vegas? It's going to work in Vegas from the standpoint of what we saw with the Golden Knights, uh, you know, I don't want to compare them to them because this was, you know, the Vegas-born team. We're mm-hmm. not inheriting somebody's stepchild, okay? Um, that was built from scratch. But what we saw in that first year with the, the Golden Knights is the arena, T-Mobile, was basically split 50-50 almost every every home game. Why? Because a lot of people weren't hockey fans yet, but this is a transient town. There's people... Everybody that, you know, the majority of people that live here lived somewhere else. Yeah. So when their team comes to town, they want to go down to the strip and see their team. That's one. Two, anytime, and this goes with the football as well, you look at schedule, you see the road schedule. Oh, I'm from Pittsburgh. Pirate, when the Penguins come to town, I'm going to go see that game, as is everybody else that wants to take a road trip with their team. If you can go to Vegas... You can do a weekend. If you get a weekend game in a four-day, three-night thing, you can have a mini vacation. You can do the game one night. You can go see a show on a strip one night. You can gamble. You got all the nice restaurants. It's a destination. Now, we're talking about hockey that's a 41-game home season as opposed to baseball where you're going to have double that number. Can they do that for a whole season? I think you'll do well in the spring. I think you'll do well with people coming through during the summer. But once you've got the Golden Knights start up and you've got football, I think that last month of baseball might might be tough in Vegas. And I brought this up previously too, right? I'm not really necessarily concerned about, you know, the Friday Saturday, Sunday series, Mm -hmm. especially when you're playing against the big-time teams, right? The teams that people want to see. I'm worried about the Tuesdays, right? The Wednesdays, the, you know, middle of the week. We know Vegas is a three-shift town, right? So that concerns me a little bit. This isn't, and by the way, I mean, we talked about the Golden Knights, obviously. Uh, It's not hockey, right? It's not the NHL. It is Major League Baseball. You expect, more, you know, more more kind of fanfare, I guess, Mm -hmm. is the way I'll describe it. With a major league baseball team here, you, you expect more support even with that being said. But I, I do have an issue with that. I do have a concern about those middle of the week games. And this isn't like the NHL or the NBA or UNLV where you've got, you know, 20, 30 home dates. You got 81 games. You got it. You know what I mean? So this is, uh, I, I am, uh, I do have, uh, I, I do, uh, I do have concern when it comes to these, those types of games. 
when you're talking about the dog days of summers in uh, July and August and beyond. The thing that it will help, and it's a pro and a con at the same time, as a local, I absolutely dread thinking the gridlock that we're going to have on TROP. Right. Trop in Las Vegas Boulevard is going to be a street that's probably going to be dead to me as a local, okay? Because it's a mess now, and it's just going to be even more congested. But the fact that it is on the strip, mm-hmm. the game day walk-up ticket sales are always going to be great because people are going to be in time. What do we want to do? Now? You know what? We can go see this brand-new ballpark. We can spend three hours, you know, that baseball ticket's a lot cheaper than sitting in front of the slot machine for three hours, let me tell you. And I don't care if you're playing the penny slots, which that's the biggest myth in Las Vegas. Everybody, oh, I was only playing the penny slots. That is the number one moneymaker every single month when the Gaming Commission sends out the report for the casinos. Penny slots makes the most money for the casinos. And let me tell you guys something else also. You talked about the ticket being a lot cheaper than the, than the, penny, than the slots. <laughs> That ticket's a lot cheaper than a Raiders ticket. That's a lot cheaper than a Golden Knights ticket yeah. on, a, on a nightly basis, right? I mean, I, it's, speaking of the Raiders, right? So the Pittsburgh Steelers are in town late September, right? Yeah. Tickets are going for, going for, you know, uh, three, three figures, yeah. in some cases four. Mm-hmm. But my buddy is a New England Patriots fan coming out here. Mm-hmm. Tickets, tickets are through there. The Patriots and the Raiders, mm-hmm. by the way, no disrespect, Raider Nation, mm-hmm. but, you know, they're not, they're expected to be, you know, not necessarily in the mix in the AFC this year, right? When it comes to contenders, those tickets are still going through the roof. This is, we're, we're in, we're into multiple seasons now here in Las Vegas. So the, the, the novelty is rubbed off a little bit, but when you see those ticket prices, not so much. And look, uh, they're definitely going to be a novelty when it comes to the A's, if they, when they come here, if and when they come here. And, uh, they, it's expected that they will. And, uh, but it is, it is a price point that is, significantly lower market, Angelo, than those other tickets that are in town. In baseball, you know, baseball has its good seats. No mm-hmm. question. You'll pay You'll pay to sit behind home plate. But baseball is the sport where you have just as much fun being out in the outfield, you know, in the cheap seats. You know, it, it's still an experience. And, you know, having a new stadium and, you know, if they're able to do – you know, we have to average, you know, it has to be closed in because you're not going to be able to play July and August here in Vegas if you don't. But if they can do it where you're sitting in the outfield and you're looking back, you know, or if whichever way they, they face the stadium, you're going to see some awesome views of yeah. the strip. And you expect they would, it would the outfield would yeah. face the strip uh, as far as like the skyline. Yeah. Cause that, that would, that, that is the expectation. And I think I've seen some renderings. Yeah. That's what they're, exactly going to do so it's going to be a spectacle we'll see exactly how it all how it all goes down but uh again like i said marco i'm selfish i want to see my tigers here (laughs) i want to see the old english d playing in vegas on the las vegas strip just like when i saw my detroit red wings for the first time here with the vegas golden knights that was uh, uh, you know a memory i'll never forget like for the rest of my life so uh and i'm sure baseball fans from all over the country will have that same feeling when the A's come oh, here. It's fun town. walking on Las Vegas Boulevard, you know, around, you know, T-Mobile and the garden area there outside. Uh, you see all of the jerseys for the other team. You know, it's yeah. like they try, you know, they want to see it. It's a, it's a destination. Okay, Marco, you mentioned it. You said pizza money, my friend. I'm mm-hmm. thinking beer and pizza money for myself as I, uh, I'm going to lean towards this. I'm going to go with the status quo, Numchuck and Marco. I might be, I might be putting some ducats on those Baltimore Ravens tonight in Monday Night Football. 
I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for the listeners out here, out there, but hey, I my, think I'm going down that road, my friend. Well, my money's on my money's on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> that's Marco D'Angelo. You can find him, uh, follow him at X slash Twitter at Marco in Vegas. Does a great job. Also, go to WagerTalk.com for all things Marco D'Angelo and beyond. I'm Chris Wynn in for TC Martin. Uh, tomorrow, TJ Reeves is going to be hosting the show, I believe. And so uh, I probably talked to TC Martin because TC's on the road. He's in Atlanta yep. getting set for that dream Aces matchup. But uh, it's been a fun Monday. Uh, Marco, always great time. Getting a chance to chop it up with you. On Absolutely. The Love it, Chris. Yeah. Uh, follow me at Christian Wynn on X slash Twitter. And uh, hey, Justin Chuck, he's all over the social media too. Hey, follow him on t- TikTok, right? You're on the TikTok right now. You got videos going out. You got everything going on. I'm on on everything. You are. He's all over the place. So, Uh, tcmartinshow.com. If you miss any part of the show or any show, go to tcmartinshow.com under the podcast section. Also, check out the interview page and hear from our great guests. Go to the current and classic interview pages anytime at tcmartinshow.com. Have a great week, everybody. Have a great Monday. We'll talk to you in 22 hours. It's the TC Martin Show on KSHP. KSHP.